Welcome to How They Get Stuff Done, where we ask successful people about the productivity habits behind their success. Side effects of listening to this show may include elevated levels of motivation, acute feelings of inspiration, and lasting improvements to your productivity. Now, here's your host, Peter Akis. Hey, folks. Today, I'm speaking with Corbett Barr. Corbett has been self-employed on the internet since 2005, earning a living from blogging, podcasting, online courses, software services, and more. He is perhaps best known for being the founder and CEO of Fizzle, a community and library of courses for independent entrepreneurs who want to make a living online. I first got in touch with Corbett back in 2016 or 2017 when I joined Fizzle. I learned much of what I know about running an online business from him. Corbett has such a wide variety of skills. He's been a corporate consultant, he has founded several businesses, and he's also done a lot of creative work, having written over 500 blog posts and published more than 400 podcast episodes. So I was really excited to ask him about his approach to productivity. Corbett and I discuss digital minimalism and why he's been cleaning up his online presence, why you need a North Star to measure your productivity by, the difference between cranking widgets and doing creative work, operating within the constraints that you have, but also challenging those constraints, and much more. Enjoy the show. Hey, Corbett, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm, I'm excited. Your, your bookcase behind you, I know people can't see this, but <laughs> it looks a little bit like mine at home. Nice, clean bookcase. Little looks like you may have organized a little bit by color, which I always appreciate. Yeah, one of the things you don't know about this Corbett is that I'm colorblind, and so I had my girlfriend um, arrange it this way, or rather it was her <laughs> idea, she did it. <laughs> okay, so it's not for your benefit. Well, it is for my benefit, because everybody mm. who's on video with me gets to see it. <laughs> that's um, true, that's true. Yeah, but uh, it, it, does look, it does look clean. I've seen several of your backgrounds before, and I thought some of them were also very neat, and you know, I remember like in some of the Fizzle videos, it matters, I think, when you you know when you're filming video to have like a nice. I, I always enjoy watching videos where somebody cared a little bit about what's behind them. Totally, totally, and even if you say the same things, people will probably take you more seriously when it looks nicer. So, right. So one thing I wanted to ask you about Corbett is uh, recently I saw s suddenly news from you that you're doing a digital reboot. Um, that you're kind of I think you phrased it as starting over, which I found very interesting, and it involved. I think deleting your Facebook profile, Instagram um, profile as well, and I think your LinkedIn, you said. Um, yeah. So I'd love to hear a little bit about why you did this. And in particular, I'm interested in, are you doing this just because you think Facebook is kind of a crappy company, which is, which is pretty much where I'm at, or was this also for you a personal decision, you know what, this is distracting me from things that I want to focus on? Yeah, it's 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 a whole combination of things. Um, first of all, Facebook is a crappy company, and <laughs> uh, plenty has been written about how manipulative they are and and what damage they've been doing to the our social fabric. You know, as as part of just um, allowing so much misinformation to be shared and spread easily. Uh, so that's one thing. But I also just noticed that every time I opened Facebook or Instagram or other social media that I didn't necessarily feel better afterwards. And I thought to myself, why am I spending time here when I don't feel better uh, after? And then also I noticed from a business standpoint that I wasn't getting a whole lot of benefit from participating in those places. So there were just, you know, basically three strikes against it. And I couldn't come up with a good reason to be there other than all of the things that we feel when we when we think about canceling one of these things. Well, my friends are there, right? And and I have photos there and and I, you know, what happens if I'm not there and somebody has a conversation about me and and I can't answer, right? So those are all the things that we feel, and that was the only thing that was keeping me there. And I think we all have to realize that social media wants things from us. And if we don't decide how we use it, then the default is going to be that it is gaining more from the relationship we have with it than we're gaining from it. And uh, that's not to say that I'm not using social media at all. I have decided to focus instead of being on all the platforms and just to evaluate each of the platforms based on those things. How do I feel about the company behind it? What sort of um, benefit am I getting from a business standpoint? And how do I feel emotionally 
and uh, about humanity after I spend time on those platforms. And it sounds like there's a lot of intentionality here, right? You weren't just like, oh, some of my friends said, I'm deleting my Facebook profile. Now I'm deleting my Facebook profile. You've really thought about this. And you mentioned that you kept some of your profiles up. So for example, I think you stuck around with Twitter, right? Why, mm -hmm. why Twitter, but not Facebook, Instagram? Yeah, yeah. And the intentionality is really important because uh, I, I have decided that I want to use technology more mindfully in general. Mm. Because, you know, as we know, there are, there are so many apps and things that are competing for our attention. And it's very easy just to give in and find yourself down one rabbit hole after the next oh, yeah. throughout the day. So that's sort of my new mantra is um, at least digital mindfulness, if not digital minimalism, right? And I think, you know, we've all learned over the past uh, decade or so from some of our favorite writers like Leo Babauta um, or like The Minimalists who have a couple of um, shows on, on Netflix now. Yeah. That... Um, being intentional about how you allow physical objects into your life and what you do with them can lead to a more fulfilling and sustainable lifestyle. And I think the same is true of uh, our online selves. And, you know, the, the trouble is that in a lot of cases, the digital things aren't taking space and they're not necessarily costing us money. So it's very easy just to say yes to all of them. So instead, I'm trying to be uh, mindful about it. Now, in terms of Twitter versus Facebook, that just came down to me again, as I look at those benefits, the cost benefit analysis, um, you know, I'm sure that some people can make arguments against Twitter as a company, just like they can against Facebook. Um, so that's not necessarily where I made that decision, although we could get into some of the nuance. And I, I think there are differences between them as companies. Um, but for me, Whenever I spent time on Twitter, I, I felt um, better about myself because of the voices that I can tune into and because it's not a visual platform. And mm. for me, there is this um, this posturing that happens on Instagram and Facebook oh, because yeah. <laughs> people are sharing so many images of themselves doing you know amazing things or what they want you to believe are amazing things about their sort of typical day-to-day, -day, which is probably not true. Um, but I just found myself being very susceptible to that, um, to, to feelings of inadequacy and security and so on that I don't feel on Twitter. And at the same time, Twitter also happens to be a better platform for me from a business standpoint because of the people that I'm able to connect with and interact with there uh, and create relationships with that sometimes lead to um, interesting things on the business side. Yeah, there's so much to unpack here because... Um so what I'm trying to do on this podcast is help people understand how successful people get stuff done. So you mentioned your business, and I think over the years you've you've made money in a variety of ways, right? You were a corporate consultant um, at some point for like big companies like Microsoft, I think at some point, right? Mm -hmm. um, you ran a very successful blog. Now you you've run Fizzle for a long time, um, and you know, objectively speaking, you're also just very productive. Like over the years, uh, you published about 500 plus blog posts, you know, 400 plus episodes of the Fizzle Show. And so I want to get your take. Let's start here. Um, what does productivity mean to you? Like if I ask you, Corbett, do you feel very productive? Like how would you evaluate that? How would you answer that? Uh, I have a lifelong struggle with being productive in spurts, I would say. I can be incredibly productive for several weeks working on a new project. And then I can be incredibly unproductive for a very long time. And I can end up feeling, um, you know, angry, distressed, distraught, uh, all sorts of, you know, negative emotions over not being productive. So I, I, I think that's fairly normal. I think a lot of people are like this. For me, productivity, I think, comes in two forms. There are the sprints that are necessary sometimes in a sort of Herculean effort to get a project out the door. And those are incredibly valuable, but they're also not sustainable. So sometimes I allow myself to do that and to get obsessed with something because I know how much can be done in a very short period of time. But you also have to realize that that's not, um, that isn't something you should expect to happen week after week after week. And so aside from the sprints, the other form of productivity 
that leads you to writing 500 blog posts or publishing 400 episodes of a podcast is the simple heartbeat or habit of showing up week after week after week. And I think a lot of times we expect ourselves to be able to do more than we really can. And we set the bar too high. And when we end up not clearing that bar, we throw the whole thing away and, and feel terrible, terrible about ourselves. So I've learned that from a habitual standpoint, I'm only able to get a few things done a week and yeah, that's great. And if, and if I, and if I get those things done, uh, I better make sure that they're important things. Mm. So, you know, publishing content has been one of those things that's, that's very important. And, uh, and then there are occasional times, like I said, when I know that I can build a new application or a website or, or something, put a new project together. And that's a different kind of effort. And so recognizing the differences between those two matters to me, but above all for me and everyone else, I think is just understanding the nature of how as individuals we get work done because it's different from person to person and really just getting to know yourself, what motivates you, the patterns of burnout and motivation, how those work, learning that about myself over time. And I've been at it, you know, in my career for 25 years now, and I feel like I'm finally getting a, a decent handle on it. I don't know if that's an optimistic message or like, uh, you know, it's good that you're finally getting a handle on it. But for someone who's just starting their career, maybe that doesn't yeah. sound so positive. Yeah. Right. So you mentioned a difference between focused sprints and things that you do habitually over time. Um, how do you decide what to focus on in any given period of time? So let's say, I don't really necessarily mean day to day, you know, but if you're thinking, what, about, what am I going to do in the next few weeks, the next few months? Um, do you have like a refined goal setting process or do you just sort of like do whatever you feel like in the moment? Because you do sort of at least, you know, I know you're kind of doing your digital minimalism now, but you had a lot of different things going on and you've had a lot of different things going on over the years. So how do you uh, prioritize? How do you say this is what's going to get my attention um, sort of in those sprint cycles? Yeah. Well, first of all, I think you have to have a North Star. You have to have a something that you're working towards that is um, beyond three weeks from now or, or beyond mm. a month from now. Because if, if you just focus on sprint after sprint after sprint, you'll finish one of the sprints and then the next time something comes up, you can easily get wrapped up in this um, analysis paralysis where you're thinking about what should I work on next as opposed to sort of knowing what you should work on next based on what your bigger priorities are. And for me recently, this is all sort of part of this digital housekeeping conversation, I felt very stuck and I was in this terrible um, analysis paralysis where I was thinking about all the different possibilities of things that I could work on and frankly making a lot of excuses about why one wasn't good enough or why something may have a, a slight edge over a different project and allowed myself to just kind of go through the motions for a, a while. And uh, finally, I recognized that, and, and this is something that, you know, I think all of us understand from time to time, but it's easy to forget. And that is that there, there are no perfect decisions. We never have perfect information. And Sometimes we forget that and we act as if something is going to happen that will make everything perfectly clear for us. But a lot of times you can wait for months or years for that moment to happen and it never does. And so instead of waiting for perfect information, we have to force ourselves to make decisions sometimes without that information. And, uh, you know, of course you want to gather as much as you can and do some analysis. But at the end of the day, you'll never know if choice A or choice B was better. And I think it's better to decide and move forward and then evaluate after you have progress and after you have more experience. And you can always change your mind later. But if you decide and, and you say to yourself, well, you know what? I'm going to pursue project A for the next year and I'll reevaluate at the end of that and see how it goes you are going to accomplish so much in that year versus if you just sit around for that year trying to figure out what the next best project is. So um, 
that to me matters most in terms of figuring out what you work on week to week. That's a process of breaking down your bigger goal, you know, the project you're going to work on for a year into smaller and smaller chunks so that, you know, maybe you decide every quarter I'm going to do big picture planning. Uh, and then every week you maybe sit down with your task list. And, and, and that's something that I've always referred to as a, uh, an operating system, either a, a personal operating system or a company operating system. Sort of like your computer knows how to work because it has these checkpoints uh, that it goes through. You should have these checkpoints in your own life or your own business where, uh, you know, you, you take time to reflect and plan and so on. And the specifics of, you know, how often that happens and um, how you do it are much less important than the fact that you do reflection and planning on a regular basis. I love that you refer to doing the big picture planning on a quarterly basis because I just wrapped up like a five week life course with people called big picture productivity. And one of the things I tell people is like, okay, like maybe once a quarter, like take the time to think about your goals. But I really want to zoom in, Corbett, on this decision that you made recently to recommit to Fizzle. So maybe if you can just explain in like 30 seconds what Fizzle is and what was the, you know, you how did you go from analysis paralysis from like something that you've been stuck on to deciding I want to go in this direction, you know? So I, the, the, the details of like why fizzle, I'm much more interested in like, how did you make this decision? Did you go on a walk on the beach by yourself for a couple hours? You know what I'm saying? Like, how do you decide those big things? Yeah. And, um, this has been something that I've sort of agonized over for coming up on three years now. And there's, there's a whole lot of backstory to it for people who aren't familiar. Fizzle is a, uh, business that I've been running since 2012 and fizzle offers a video training library, coaching and community to independent creators and small entrepreneurs. And we've served, um, 26,000 plus people over the years. Wow. So it's been, it's been a big project. It's been a successful project, but in this day and age, I think that most of us are in an average project or job for less than, I don't know what the stats are, but on average, probably two years, something yeah. like that. And for me personally, I had never been in, committed to something for more than five years or so. Here we are uh, coming up on the ninth year of uh, Fizzle being in existence. And I think somewhere along the way at the five or six year mark, I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know how this part of the journey was supposed to go because I've never been here. It was unfamiliar. I'd never been here before. At the same time, I also, the, the pieces changed. My co-founder and I, Chase Reeves, parted ways amicably and he's doing his own thing. You can find him on YouTube reviewing travel bags and we have a great relationship, but um, it, was, it was at a stage where he wanted to go and do his own thing. And I didn't recognize that I was in uncharted territory and that splitting with a, a co-founder really required uh, a lot of introspection and decision-making about how to go next. Yeah. So I basically found myself in this period for a few years of kind of going through the motions, keeping the lights on. Um, despite my neglect, Fizzle continued to do well. We have people signing up every week. And, um, but, but personally, I, I felt like I wasn't making a lot of progress. I wasn't being very productive. You mentioned that the Fizzle show had been a bit more sporadic. All of that's sort of evident. And I think that's evident because, again, I didn't know what my North Star was. I didn't mm. know what I, was, what I was working towards in the bigger picture. I also had several projects going on at once, which can complicate the picture. But the thing that struck me most was that I was um, in a conversation with a friend of mine, a, a, an entrepreneur, an online entrepreneur named Vanessa Van Edwards. And um, we were just catching up, talking about how things were going and, uh, you know, talking about personal things and then business came up. And when business came up and she asked me how it was going, I basically went through the same spiel that I had been giving people for <laughs> quite a while. And finally she called me on it and she said, you know, you've been saying the same thing for a long time now. And I think she may have heard it for two or three years, basically something <laughs> along the lines of I've got too much going on. I feel really pulled in a lot of different directions. I'm not sure what's next, blah, blah, blah. And she basically just called me on it. Like, like, okay, great. You've been saying that now, what are you going to do about it? Yeah. 
And uh, that, that hit me. And really what it made me do was not to make a decision right there, but to commit to making a decision. And the best way that I knew to commit to making a decision, to forcing myself, was to start doing this in public and to tell people. And so this was uh, coming up on five or six months ago when I wrote a blog post and an email to my list saying that I'm starting over. And that's when I started this massive cleaning of all of the other projects. I started cutting out all of the things that were less important so that I could start to really hone in on what is important and to decide what I wanted to do with those important things. So when I said I'm starting over, um, you know, that immediately meant uh, killing a lot of old content, old blog posts, things that were just sort of baggage, digital baggage out there, yeah. uh, killing off social media accounts. But it didn't mean that I was killing the important projects because I wanted to take more time. I think that's important. Think more deeply about the things that are important to you. And uh, I ended up taking about four or five months before I made the big decision to recommit to Fizzle and what to do with some of the other big projects. And so for the big decision, was this, like, like I said, you're like walking somewhere and suddenly you're like, that's it? Did you talk maybe to your, I think you're married, right? Did you talk to your partner about this? Yeah. Yeah, I, um, I definitely. I've talked to my partner probably to an annoying level <laughs> about it, to her anyway. That's so familiar. Um, <laughs> I'm sure she got tired of it. Uh, I also honestly have been working it out a little bit uh, on podcasts like this, having these conversations mm. and and uh, thinking about it. And then also I have really um, embraced getting back to writing again, something that I always loved and something that is so... Uh, cathartic and also helps me to to really think through things like for example with social media I knew that I was annoyed by it but it wasn't until I sat down and forced myself to write an article about it which required a lot of research a lot of introspection a lot of conversations to be able to put that together that really helped crystallize my thinking so I'd say the decision has come through a lot of conversations a lot of analysis, of course, of um, business and opportunities, and then also uh, a bit of writing, which has really helped me to to put down my thoughts on paper and to explore them in more depth. And writing also forces you to be really clear in your chain of reasoning, right? I find this all the time. Like I have like a weekly newsletter, you know, I send people, and sometimes there's an idea in my head. I want to explain something to people, but then when you start writing it up, you're like, wait a second, this is not as clear as I thought it was uh, in yep. my head. So, so this decision kind of came over time. And, and it sounds like the digital minimalism thing was kind of related to your project of focusing on this particular business venture, right? Or is it just kind of like a side effect? The two are related for sure. And I, and I would say, you know, that I got into blogging and social media like a lot of people did sort of on a whim initially. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because the tools are out there and they seem exciting and interesting. And so we sign up for all these accounts. We start, you know, creating all this content without necessarily having like a, a big picture for it. And it's not natural. And I don't think that as a society, we have really grappled with this, that it is unnatural for every thought that we've had to exist in a little scribble that we put out there online it's for weird. All, for all the world to see for all uh, eternity. It, it's, just not, it's just not natural. And if you go back and look at your feeds, you'll see that there's a lot of stuff that maybe you disagree with now or maybe just wasn't important and doesn't deserve space. I think that in the past, you know, um, writers, painters, people like that, they would have all kinds of thoughts, but those thoughts would really exist in conversation with themselves and friends at a bar or letters that they wrote to friends yeah. and things like that. Uh, but the work that you know from those people that existed before social media was the more complete, finished work that they decided to publish as a painting or as a book or as a film. Yeah. And now... You know, it's great that we're all able to share our work along the way because we can often gain an audience because of that. But it means that there's a lot of um, just junk out there that we've produced that's not necessarily worthy of anyone's time. And also at the same time, you know, you've probably heard the adage, especially in productivity, that every yes we 
say is an implicit no to something else. And so by saying yes to various social media accounts, to various commitments, to various business projects, it meant that it means that you have less time for the things that really matter to you. So I've gotten sort of ruthless about um, cleaning up my commitments and the digital housekeeping, the cleaning up of the digital baggage is almost like, you know, I'm one of those people, you mentioned at the very top of this, how it seemed like I, I was a bit of a, a, a neat person. I'm one <laughs> of those people that that sometimes would not really be able to get a lot of great work done until my desk was super clean. Yeah. And that was just part of my process. And I, I think that I started to feel like it's almost as if I had a digital desk out there with a bunch of random papers and folders and things on it and that I needed to clean those up in order to make progress. Yeah. And so you referred to people in the past, maybe artists, creative people um, creating things and there, you know, you said their work, um, but we're judging is the work that they decided should be out there, right? Maybe with some exceptions like letters they wrote their friends and whatever. Um, and this has me thinking about productivity as it relates to creative work. So as a background, I, I often teach people really practical productivity skills, uh, task management, you know, like how, and for a lot of people, when I teach them, like how to use a task manager properly, that makes a big difference. Like that can mm -hmm. really make people feel more organized, less overwhelmed, you know, kind of some of those same things that you get, I think, when you like yep. clear your desk. Yes. Um, however, I found that the more creative is the work that people are doing, the less something like a task manager really helps the less like thinking oh you know which 12 things am i going to do this week or something like yes. that and so you do a good amount of creative work um whether that is like you know writing blog posts or your podcast episodes or even like creating those courses in fizzle um and so i'd love to hear you know what is your do you have a ritual for doing creative work is it i remember for example once reading on your website a blog post about a technique called the complete calendar which other people would talk would refer to as time blocking time blocking your whole week so for, for example is that something you still use um has that evolved over time how do you sit and and not crank out widgets but create something that is like a creative thing yeah uh, so, you know, the, the complete calendar and, and other techniques, time blocking and, and task management and so on are things that can occasionally give me a boost of energy to work in a more organized fashion. But I would say that they generally wane over time. And, mm. uh, I often find myself resorting to just sort of a base level of task management, which ends up for me being just bullet points in a notebook. Yeah. And I cross those out when they're done. Um, I used to love writing, uh, handwriting those, you know, 20 years ago. Now, whenever I try to handwrite something, it's just so slow for me to write versus type yeah. that I find it inefficient. And then also, of course, I never have the notebook whenever I'm somewhere and I want to think about a task. So generally, um, I just, you know, I use a, a, a writing tool called Bear. It's, it's not important what the tool is. It just is a, a series of notes. Yeah. And one of those is my task list. Um, and sometimes that task list is project-based, other times it's just general. But in terms of, of getting creative work done, I think you're right. It's There's such a difference between knowing that I need to call and make a dental appointment versus right. sitting down to write something that's really important. Um, one is a discrete uh, task that will take five minutes and it's just a matter of doing it. The other is something that you sometimes can't force. And the other is something that requires this enormous amount of focus and attention. And so for me, part of it has been recognizing that when I need to get something creative done, I want nothing else on my calendar for the day. And I want to start on that creative thing as early as possible in the morning and basically work on it obsessively until it's done. So if I have an article to write, it means that sometimes I might start working right away and I won't pick my head up until three or four in the afternoon because that's when I'm, I finally edited the piece and I feel like it's, it's ready to go. Um, creative work also often spans days. You know, it's not sometimes the, the sort of thing that you can just do in one day. Uh, a lot of times I will recognize that there is something that I'm going to be writing about. I can feel it 
but I just let it percolate and it becomes my topic of interest so that whenever I'm reading online or um, perusing Twitter, I start to dive into that topic. You know, um, last week, for some reason, I was really interested in the energy usage of Bitcoin. And I don't, oh, right. <laughs> know, I don't know that that means that I'm going to write an article about it, but I found myself really diving deeper into that topic for several days because it was something that I was curious about and, and sort of annoyed about. Um, so I, I think creative work requires that you don't put as many constraints on it and that you really allow yourself to um, obsess and to give your full attention and focus to it so that you can get it all done. Because the worst thing in the world for me is to have to set down something that was creative for several days because I get distracted or I get pulled into a bunch of meetings or conversations because picking it back up again, dusting it off and, and so on just requires so much effort. And a lot of times that magic isn't there when you pick it up for the second time. Yeah, and so people like you and me, we have a lot of flexibility in how we can arrange our week right? Yeah. So that comes with having your own thing, business, whatever. Um, not everybody's like that. And so a good amount of the people who follow me, they have corporate jobs. So I'll ask you later what you think about having a job, because I noticed you had left some blog posts on your website that are about not having a job. So I'm going <laughs> to ask you about that later. But um, I often get people asking me, okay, Peter, this sounds great. You, t you talk to me like, I, I need to do something that is, maybe it's not creative, but it's something in their company, like deciding on a vision for their company, like something that has s similarities to creative work where you really need to, like you say, obsess over it for a while. That needs to be the thing loaded into your brain space. Um, and they ask me like, how can I focus on this? My, my week is full of meetings all the time. I get distracted. So to do the things that are, whether it's more creative or just the kind of deep work that requires the sustained focus, um, someone else may not be able to do like what you're doing where you clear your calendar for the rest of the day. And I was wondering if you have any tips for people like that, anything you learned? Because you also worked as a, a corporate consultant for like various companies for a while. So is that something that at the time you were already doing in some way? Or do you feel like, no, really, to do this like, really hard, deep work, whether it's creative work or something else, I had to like unchain myself from other people being my boss. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, this, this is a really great question. And I, and I would say, uh, there are two parts to this answer. The first is that we all have to operate within the constraints that we have. You know, I know that, um, even more difficult sometimes I think than trying to be creative at your day job is trying to be creative in your side hustle, oh, when yeah. you have a day job, and 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 especially if you have a family and you just have this limited time, so so we all have constraints. However, I would first make sure that you challenge those constraints, and don't assume that just because your week is full of meetings at work that it has to be that way. Things change in corporate environments because one person has a vision for how things could be. And they're not interested in just accepting the status quo. In fact, the status quo is always going to be to gather more baggage over time, especially in that social, political, um, corporate environment, because there are all these competing, you know, interests and uh, your attention will get sucked into whatever meeting anyone wants to, to throw on your calendar. So what I mean by that, you know, by challenging those constraints is to say, wait a second, why is my day full of meetings? Or why do I have to be on chat all day so that anyone can interrupt me at any time? And to start talking about it with your colleagues to get support and consensus and just realize this is a basically a political process. You have to have an issue that matters to you. You have to talk to people about it. You have to realize that maybe some people feel the same way that you do and, and that gathering support might not be as difficult as it is. And that maybe you have to be smart about proposing a trial period or a challenge. Hey, you know, what if we had one week a month where no meetings were allowed no meetings, and let's, yeah. and let's see how that works, you know, and, and just push back and, and see if you can get some buy-in there and then do your creative work in that time. You know, there are a lot of companies that will do a, uh, a sprint of bug fixes between, you know, if they're building software between their normal feature building, they'll take a week where all they do is just get those little annoying bugs out of the way. And they find that that is incredibly productive just because you're switching modes. So 
you know, see, see what you can do about challenging those constraints. And then once you're within those constraints, sometimes it might mean that you have to change your vision for the creative thing that you're, you're making instead of writing, you know, some, uh, amazing 3000 word blog post that goes into complete depth on something. If you're only going to be able to squeeze out an hour in the morning because you show up before everyone else in the office, then maybe it means that you have to write less, but more frequently. And so maybe you turn that big thing that you wanted to write into a, a smaller series that you drip out over the course of a month. So I think there are, there are ways you just have to, you're going to have to admit to yourself at some point that you have these constraints and do the best to produce what you can within them and not set yourself up for failure by trying to cram uh, 10 pounds of potatoes into a five pound sack or whatever the equivalent, <laughs> whatever the equivalent adage in is in, in, yeah, in metric, exactly. I like that one. Uh, I also like uh, I like your advice for people to think of themselves as a bit of a politician um, to try to bring this up at work. So that brings me to something that is very related because sort of as I've I now have a moderately successful online business. OK, I sell some online courses and um, people notice this and they and they when they hear my story, I, I was in corporate, I burned out. But these days I have my online business. I'm a lot happier. They start to ask me questions which basically come down to um, do I need to quit my job to become happier? <laughs> you know, and so this is something that I've been thinking about a lot. You, you know, you were talking earlier and saying um, you really need to be intentional about stuff, right? You need to have a vision. A North Star is what you said of, of where you're going. And I know a lot of people who struggle with figuring out what is it they want, what are their goals for this year or for this quarter or whatever. And I think it's because they don't understand what is their North Star. And a lot of the times when I start talking to people, it comes down to I don't have enough time. Uh, I spend 40 or more hours a week doing things that I really don't like. Um, I have to do things that I don't agree with, whatever. And um, like I said, you know, on your website, you left some blog posts up. You've written many blog posts over years. You deleted many, but two of the ones that you left up, one of them is 27 reasons why working for yourself is better. Um, another one is three reasons to never take another job. So I would like to know whether you think that really having a vision for what you want and being intentional about the work that you're doing, does that require exiting you know, business, corporate life, and doing something for yourself? Or is that only right for some people? And is it totally possible within a corporate environment, say, for people to still feel like they're doing really meaningful work, they know what they're doing, right? And they're enjoying their work day to day. So I wrote those articles um, probably 10 to 12 years ago. And at the time, things were a little bit different than they are now. Mm. It, it wasn't that, um, in fact, podcasts were barely a thing. Um, yeah. blogging was blogging was barely a thing. YouTube celebrities, Instagram didn't exist. There were, you know, the world was a little bit different and the amount of courage that it took to become an entrepreneur was enormous because there were so many unknowns at the time, especially if you wanted to be an online entrepreneur. Mm. So I wrote those articles, uh, as I do a lot of articles to myself, partly, right. Um, to sort of document how I, was, how I was feeling at the time, but also to other people I knew that were sort of on the fence about mm -hmm. whether or not they wanted to work for themselves. I always had this feeling when I was in the corporate world that I would try entrepreneurship at some point in my life. And that if I didn't, I would be really disappointed in myself, um, because I didn't have the guts to see if I had what it took to support myself. And I always romanticized, for some reason, the idea of being self-sustaining, to be able to um, earn an income with your bare hands and not to rely on anyone else. And I will say that there is this enormous sense of deep satisfaction that comes from being self-reliant. But I'll also say that being self-employed isn't some kind of silver bullet. You can have weeks or months or maybe even years where you are very dissatisfied with yourself. And that I think um, shows that there are a lot more similarities in corporate life and entrepreneurship than you, you might assume that there are at first. And it kind of took me uh, a decade of entrepreneurship to sort of recognize that. And I would say that now 
I feel like I'm actually much more equipped. You know, a lot of people will say I'm completely unemployable, not me, but entrepreneurs will say I'm unemployable. I couldn't work for anyone. I have to work for myself. I would say that strangely now I feel better equipped to work in a corporate environment than I ever was. And partly that's, that's just my own growth. Um, and, and also partly it's being a little bit older and more sure of what I bring to an environment so that if I were in a corporate environment, I would be in a bit of a different position and maybe able to call my own shots a little bit more than I was. Um, being a, you know, a, a 20 something in a corporate environment and having so many expectations of your day and your time and your career development and all that kind of stuff. And so little say in what you actually pursue, I think is, is incredibly frustrating. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm kind of of several minds on this. I think that someone can find themselves perfectly satisfied in a corporate environment. And I, I have known plenty of friends who, um, are somewhat satisfied at least in that environment. Uh, it's rare to find someone I would say who is like really happy in the corporate environment. Um, but it does happen, you know, and I do hear from people all the time who really enjoy podcasting or really enjoy doing something on the side, but don't want to leave their full-time job because they actually like it. Uh, I never, I wasn't able to find one of those myself. And so I jumped with both feet into self-employment and, um, it was a, in, incredibly harrowing experience, a scary roller coaster of emotions and financial realities uh, that uh, a lot of people aren't cut out for. So, you know, no matter how much you hate your corporate job, uh, you might find that it's much more stressful to be an entrepreneur. For me, it all it, it all worked out fine. And now that I know that I have those skills, I, I'm, I'm never really worried about where my meal is going to come from. Um, as a self-employed person, but it's, that isn't to say that I, I haven't thought about being in a corporate environment just to, to wonder if I have what it takes to make that work now at a high level. You know, I, I think as long as you, we talked about North stars earlier, if you have a North star that isn't just about your employer, it's more about your career development or it's more about the lifestyle that you want to live or it's more about your retirement or financial independence or being able to buy real estate outside of work or whatever it is. If you can treat your job as part of a bigger picture and as a means to an end, then I think you can have a healthier relationship with it. And the same is true of self-employment, of entrepreneurship. I think a lot of people think that it's going to be their everything and that their life is going to be magically better because they're self-employed, but it's not. And, and you can realize that there are some holes in your emotional being, um, and in your development as a, as a, as a person that aren't fulfilled by being an entrepreneur. Yeah. I love the emphasis on the emotions because this is something that, you know, when I first a couple of years ago started teaching people how to use like one spe- very specific task management app, I didn't realize this yet. But now that I've been teaching people how to be more organized and productive for a while, I mean, that's my marketing, right? But what it turns out, often people have emotional problems, you know? So people think that they, what they need is an app that will solve all their problems. But really what's going on is they're just terrified of like lots of things, right? Or they're super yeah. frustrated. And yep. so I like that you brought up that um, I feel like working for yourself or working within like a small company or whatever, where you have a lot of say, you're much more likely to like slam into those emotions, right? It, it can be very safe and comfortable, right? You may not be super satisfied. Like you're saying, it's hard to find people who are extremely satisfied working for a big corporation, but it can be very comfortable. It could, it could pay well, it could be a great job security, whatever fun people. Um, but it's also a way I think to like sort of hide from those deep seated emotions that you're suffering from. So, um, I, I'm really curious to hear how you figure out what are you feeling when it comes to your work projects? How do you figure out what feels good, what's going to feel good, what doesn't feel good? Do you have a journaling practice, for example? You know, I, I know I use meditation for this a lot of times to figure out just like, what the heck am I feeling? You know, do you have a process for that? Well, I, yes. Um, I, you know, this last year, instead of doing a traditional annual review, it was, either in, in late December, or early January, I came across an article or a, a post from Tim Ferriss about an alternative way to do an annual review that involved basically looking at your calendar day after day, week after week for the preceding year 
and then asking yourself for each of the tasks or, um, or scheduled events, how did you feel about them? Mm. And for the next year, is there a way that you can do more of the things that you enjoy doing and less of the things that you didn't? And I will tell you that, um, that was a, a really interesting exercise for me. And, and sometimes I think, you know, people get really obsessed with doing the exact same annual review process year after year after year. Yeah. And I think it's kind of easy to gloss over and not really have many learnings from it. So I was glad that I did it in a different way this time. And literally, I just made a giant list of do more of these things and do less of these things where possible. As an entrepreneur, sometimes, you know, there there are things that you have to do and you can't yeah. necessarily get, get away from them. Although in a lot of cases, you can outsource something and, and pay someone for the things that you don't necessarily want to do. But I really, I recognized, for example, that I really enjoy um, podcasting. I don't necessarily enjoy editing and scripting and writing show notes and all that kind of stuff, but I really enjoy showing up for a podcast like this. So I decided that I would be a guest on 50 podcasts this year. And, uh, and, and that's been a really fun goal. That's the kind of thing where when I wake up in the morning and I look at my calendar and I say, oh, Peter is on my calendar and we're going to have a, a podcast discussion. I go, great. I'm, I'm excited for that. But on the other hand, uh, if I have something on my calendar or my to-do list that I am dreading, I'm as much a victim of my own emotions as anyone else. I just try to set myself up to have fewer of those emotions by limiting the things that cause them. Um, you know, of course, I, I would love to be a stoic and to be able to just control my emotions, but um, in 44 years of existing on this planet, I haven't been able to. So instead, I, I just try to have fewer of those things. If I have something on my calendar that I'm dreading, I have to be really careful about it. If I let myself get obsessed with the fact that I don't want to do it, then it can throw off my entire day and I can find myself procrastinating I can find myself reading the news and, and so on just because there's one thing on there that I don't want to do. And it's, it's crazy, but that's how it works. Um, versus if there's something that I'm really excited about, I can work for days, days on end, uh, in a completely productive manner. So, you know, again, it's, for me, it's about learning myself and, and getting to know what motivates me and, and what sets up roadblocks and just to try to do more of the motivating things and fewer of the roadblock things. Uh, recognizing, of course, that there are some of those roadblock things that have to get done. And unfortunately, you know, often I end up pushing all of those roadblock things to the end of the week or even to Sunday. And, um, you know, unfortunately, like the last thing I do Sunday is respond to all the emails that I've been ignoring or, or whatever so that I can clean the slate and go into my week being able to focus on the things that I want to. Yeah. Man, it, it really hit home when you said that if there's one thing on your calendar that like you're not that excited about, it can ruin your whole day because that's that it's the same for me. And you know what I really appreciate is at least you're aware of this. So one thing I realized coming out of burnout a couple of years ago is I really had to learn like how how do I feel about stuff? Like I didn't know, and I think there's a lot of people in that situation where they just don't know. So I guess one thing I want them to take away from what you've been saying is, okay, people, you really need to understand like why are you resisting things? If you if you're something that is not excited that you're not excited about, I want you to understand why that is. All right, Corbett, um, two final questions for you. So the first thing is um, we've talked a little bit about Fizzle, a place for people to go and learn um, how to make a living online. Is that a fair way of describing yeah, it? Sure. Um, and we call these people creators, online creators, people who do this. Um, you know, I'm one of them. Who should consider looking into, you know, being an online creator? For what kind of person is that a good fit? Yeah. So I think, um, well, a, a few things. Uh, you have to have something that you're interested in, uh, or something that you think you could get really interested in. Uh, for you, you know, productivity. That's a great example. For me, it has been uh, the creator economy and entrepreneurship in general. Uh, for some people, it's food or fitness, you know, there are all kinds of things, but you have to have some idea of a topic that you either feel like you're already really good at, could become good at, um, or that is a, a really interesting growing field. You know, um, like for example, we, we mentioned Bitcoin earlier, that could have been 
a really great thing to get involved in yeah. five years ago. Um, not necessarily as an investment, but you know, as, as something to stake your claim on, uh, and to, to become a, a creator if you wanted to do podcasting or writing or, or something like that. Um, the second thing is that you have to produce something and the thing that you produce is generally either going to be content, which is either written audio or video, right? Those are really the, the three forms of, of content. And those can be in, you know, in, in different um, formats in different places, but that's really what it comes down to. Or you could produce code or you could produce a service that is useful to other businesses, but you have to produce something. There's some unit of work that you're going to have to do and you have to think about what that is. Um, if you want to be uh, you know, a podcaster or, or someone who is um, active on social media or something, it really helps if you enjoy that medium. And it's something that you don't feel this uh, sense of trepidation like we were talking about right. earlier. And if you find yourself, you know, feeling that sense of dread or avoidance every time you need to show up and do whatever that unit of work is, then you either are going to have to completely change your perspective or find a different medium because the competition out there always is going to involve someone who loves showing up and doing this thing more than you do. So you can't start off by, you know, uh, entering the fight with one hand behind your back. You have to find something that, that you enjoy. So again, the topic matters. It has to be something that, that, that you are interested in or could become really good at. Um, and the medium matters, whether that be a co code, coding or service or content or, or something like that. Totally. I love that. You know, I have a friend of mine is really interested in teaching businesses how to use storytelling to sell their products mm -hmm. and services better. And so he's currently working on this first online course. And I was like, man, you got to like check out Pizzle and stuff, you know, because like, I think something like that lends itself, like he really cares about this. He's into public speaking and stuff. So I was like, this is a great match for like a video course, you know. Um, but of course, there's the whole thing that comes around it. Okay, Corbett, um, where can people find you? Um, if they want to learn more about you or if, you know, what we were just talking about, if they're thinking, you know what, I do have something I really care about and I would love to like teach other people, share that what I have, uh, where should they go? Yeah. So, um, for my personal journey that involves all of this stuff we've been talking about in terms of digital housekeeping, social media, uh, you can head over to corbettbar.com, C-O-R-B-E-T-T-B-A-R-R.com. And uh, you'll find that at some point, uh, five or six months ago, I started over and there's a post in there saying I'm starting over and you can sort of follow the progression since then. And um, there are about 10 posts out of a couple of hundred, several hundred in the archives that are, um, I think, important still. Uh, and then in terms of Fizzle, which is the community and training library for uh, independent creators and entrepreneurs, you can head over to fizzle.co, F-I-Z-Z-L-E.co. Great. And we'll put those in the show notes. Thank you very much for Corbett for being on the show. Thank you so much. This is awesome. I love talking about productivity and could do it all day. So thanks so much for having me on. Hey, if you like the show, subscribe in your favorite podcast app so you'll never miss an episode. We'd also love it if you rated the show on Apple Podcasts. To find out more about Peter or about today's guest, check out the show notes. Thank you for joining us on this episode of How They Get Stuff Done.